Thank you, Betty, for interceding for us this morning and for lifting uh, Brittany and I up in prayer, too. I really appreciate that. We're going to be reading this morning from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, a very scary moment in the life of Jesus and his disciples, and we're going to see how Jesus engages this. Uh, Just a reminder about the series we're in, Do Not Be Afraid. Uh, We're looking at the moments where Jesus says that to his disciples or something like that. Why are we doing that? Well, I think it's just important for us to spend some time this Lent reflecting on our fears, naming them, and uh, allowing Christ to speak into them, to, to comfort us, and to give us assurance to move forward in faith as his disciples. So Mark chapter 4, we'll begin at verse 35. Jesus calms the storm. That day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples awoke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, gathered here and at home, I've never um, had the chance to go to Rome, but if I do ever get that chance, I'd love to go visit the catacombs. The catacombs are underground tunnels uh, that were used as burial grounds from the 2nd to the 5th century. Many early Christians were buried in these tombs. In addition to being the graveyard of the early church, the catacombs also contain many carvings of early Christian symbols, like the fish and the anchor. Another early Christian symbol that you'll find etched into the walls of the catacombs is a picture of a boat. Now, eventually, the cross took over as the main identifying symbol of those who follow after Jesus. But I like these other symbols as well, especially the boat. The boat is a symbol of the church. The church is the vessel through which and in which God protects and leads his covenant family home. As the ark was used to protect Noah and his family during the days of the flood, so the church is a place of refuge in the midst of a stormy and chaotic world. Perhaps the second century Christians in Rome also had Mark 4 in mind when they carved pictures of boats into the walls beside the tombs of their dearly dearly departed friends and family, as if to remind themselves, remember who calmed the storm. Remember who spoke a word and the raging waters were stilled. Remember him 
who spoke a word and the power of death was defeated. Perhaps the second, um, uh, I find, you know, I find as I read this passage this week that it's actually a very terrifying text. You know, a lot of people dream of owning waterfront property, but personally, I like a little distance between me and the sea. Of course, it's uh, a lot of fun to play in the water near the safety of the shore, but to be out bobbing around in big waves floating on a pile of two-by-fours, that is not my idea of a good time. The weather on the Sea of Galilee is very unpredictable. Cold fronts and warm fronts are constantly smashing together, and impressive storms also, uh, often can come up out of nowhere. I want you to imagine your, uh, that you are on this boat. Imagine that you are with the disciples. It's evening, and the sun has gone down, and suddenly the wind picks up, and the rain starts to fall. The waves get bigger, and they start pounding the boat like an old man beating a dusty mat with a broom. No worries, you tell yourself, trying to restrain and keep the fear down. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they're here in the boat too, and they're fishermen. They've spent so much time on this lake. Clearly, they can navigate storm. They have navigated storms worse than this. But then you look over at them, and you see the fear and worry growing on their faces. I think Rembrandt does justice to this passage with this haunting painting. Perhaps you've seen this picture before. Um, probably not in person since it was stolen in 1990 and no one has seen it since. This painting brilliantly captures the power of the storm and the fear of the disciples. Some of the disciples are hard at work trying to take down the sails. Others are pleading with Jesus to, to do something. One is uh, leaning over the ship and losing their lunch in the sea. Jesus is the only person in this picture who appears calm. Perhaps it's because he has just had a restorative nap in the stern. Or perhaps he knows that he is safely in his Father's will and does not have to worry about a thing. The disciples let Jesus sleep for a while, but eventually they just they can't take it anymore. Teacher, they say, waking Jesus up. Don't, don't you care? Don't you care if we drown? You know, most of the time when we read the gospel stories, we often have a way, or, or we often feel a little bit superior to the disciples. They are always just so slow to, to understand and to trust. But here I think we can empathize with them, can't we? For who among us hasn't lived through a terrible storm? And who among us hasn't been frustrated to find that? For all we can tell, our captain is asleep in the stern. Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care if we drown? In Rembrandt's painting, one of the disciples in the boat is staring right back at us. I've uh, circled him or, or put a square around him because I couldn't figure out how to do a circle. Some say that this is Rembrandt, that he painted himself into the picture. But whatever the case, the piercing gaze of this disciple, it, it draws us in. Also, did you notice that there are 13 disciples in the boat? Why did Rembrandt paint an extra disciple in the boat? Maybe he wanted us to find ourselves in the picture. It's really not too hard to imagine ourselves there, is it? 
I mean, what storm in life is currently battering you? A cancer diagnosis is a pretty big storm. So is the prospect of maybe losing your license or a loved one or suffering from never-ending headaches or backaches or leg aches. Are you being pounded by depression, hit, hit hard by job loss? Are you stuck and, tor- and tormented in addiction? Is your family just falling apart all around you? Life is full of literal and figural storms that seem to come up out of nowhere. <laughs> Reality seems to be this odd mix of cold fronts and warm fronts and storms just cycle up. Sometimes the storms we find ourselves in are, are self-inflicted. The, the wind and the waves have built up over years of bad choices. But sometimes we find ourselves caught in storms that are so much bigger, bigger and scarier than, than anything we could ever create. Such was the case for eight French monks ministering in the North African country of Algeria. Their story is vividly captured in a remarkable film called Of Gods and Men. For many years, life and ministry was was good and stable for these eight monks. They dedicated themselves to their community. They, They prayed, they worked, they served, they worshiped. They had a mission there. But then one day, a radical Muslim group moved into their area and began to make trouble for the monks and their neighbors. And so the monks, knowing that their lives were at risk and knowing, too, that they had an escape route back to France, they got together and they prayed and they discerned, what is God's will for us? What should we do? Should we flee to safety or shall we stay and continue with the mission? After a few weeks of heart-wrenching prayer and discernment and conversation, the monks, they make the difficult decision to, to stay, to remain rooted in the midst of the storm. It was not an easy decision for them to make, and the youngest monk especially, I mean, he is just wrecked, and we see him sobbing in his little cell and pleading for God's mercy. Where are you? He calls out. Don't you care? Don't you care if we drown? We wonder why Jesus is so calm. I mean, who can sleep through a storm when the waves are smashing over the sides? When the disciples finally wake Jesus up, Jesus doesn't get swept up in the anxiety of the storm. Rather, rather he calmly faces the storm itself and speaks an authoritative word. Quiet, be still, he says. And all at once, Mark records, the storm stopped and the water was still. And after a moment of pregnant silence, Jesus turned to his disciples and he asked them two questions. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have so little faith? Where is your faith? I don't know if the disciples heard Jesus' question, however, for at that moment they were gripped with fear of a different kind. Who is this? They asked themselves. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? On my first reading through this passage, I was a little frustrated at Jesus for chastising his disciples. I mean, how could they have known that he was going to 
pull that out of his back pocket. And what did Jesus expect them to do, really? I mean, sing hymns as the ship went down? But as I thought about it more, it struck me that the disciples could have had a bit more confidence in the midst of that storm. They've been with Jesus since the beginning, right? They've seen him teach with authority and heal with authority. They watched him uh, tell a man to, to get up and walk, and they, he, they watched him too look at that man and say, your sins are forgiven. The disciples, being faithful Jews, they knew that only God, only God can forgive sins. In addition to this, Jesus has just finished talking, um, uh, sharing some parables about the nature of the kingdom of God. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like a seed that a farmer plants in the ground. Um, night and day, the, the farmer watches the crop. He goes to sleep. He wakes up, and the, the seed, it, the, the crop, it grows all by itself. The kingdom of God is like that. And the kingdom of God is also like a mustard seed that it's the smallest of all seeds, just itty-bitty, but when planted into the ground, it grows to become the largest of shrubs and this place where the birds can make their nest. Both of these parables highlight the inevitable, the unstoppable nature of God's kingdom. So why are the disciples so afraid? If God is with them, who can be against them? The disciples have enough faith in Jesus to turn to Jesus and to wake him up, but their trust in him is still lacking full strength. This too will come in time. Slowly, Jesus will capture more and more of their trust and loyalty. Another thing the disciples are learning is the real, through this, this experience at sea, is the real identity of the man who has called them to mission and discipleship. For four chapters, Mark has been making the case that Jesus is more than just a regular man. And this command, this act of commanding the wind and the waves, it, it really seals the deal. Notice that Jesus doesn't call on a higher power to still the water and the waves. That's what sorcerers and miracle workers do. They summon the powers of, of something higher than them to, to make something in creation go differently. But Jesus doesn't do that. The authority is within him. It is his. His word alone calms the storm. Way back in the first pages of the Bible, we read that it's God's word that orders creation. He speaks. He says, let there be light, and there is light. His word alone creates this kind of power is reserved for God and God alone. Of God the Father, the psalmist says this, you rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Here we see that there's a little like father, like son thing happening here. This is why the disciples move from fear of the storm to fear of Jesus. They recognize in this moment that Jesus is doing things that, that only God himself can do. They don't know how it is so. They don't know how Jesus is embodying in some way the God that they, have, they know. But they do know that they are standing on holy ground and that God is with them. 
So this is a teaching moment for the disciples on many levels. Jesus is revealing his identity to them with greater clarity, and, and Jesus is calling his disciples to greater trust and courage. I think both of these points are important for disciples today, too. Jesus doesn't take storms away, but he is with us in the midst of storms. And storms of one form or another are going to come upon you at some point in your life or your life of your family. If not a storm right now, then you'll probably face a storm later. Jesus promised his church that in this world we will have trouble. But don't let that throw you off course, he said. In fact, take heart, for I have overcome the world, and I am with you. Take heart. Courage in the midst of the storm. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage means moving forward in faith, even though you are very afraid. This lesson in the boat will become important to the disciples, as uh, Jesus' disciples, as they face so many hardships in their life of following after Jesus. They will be thrown in prison and ostracized for their witness. They will face famine and darkness and sword, but so far as we know, only Judas defected. The rest faced the storm with courageous faith, trusting in their Savior. For they knew deep down in their bones that God was with them and that they were members of his unstoppable kingdom. And the kingdom of Jesus Christ is unstoppable, brothers and sisters. We know this because Jesus' work of silencing the forces of the storm did not end with the stilling of the sea. In a way, this story at sea, it foreshadows the events that are to come. Jesus' passion on the cross was a storm of sorts, if you think about it. On Good Friday, the powers of sin and death beat against Jesus' body. They surrounded him like a flood. The disciples wanted Jesus to stand up and to fight, but Jesus didn't resist the storm. Instead of quietly sleeping on a pillow, he quietly slumped over on the cross. The disciples were terrified and their faith faltered. For, for three days, they met in locked rooms trying to keep afloat their capsized hopes. But then Jesus appeared to them and said, Peace, be still, do not be afraid. Jesus was raised by the powerful word of God. Victory through the word. And like that, the power of death was defeated. The power of death. And there is no greater power in this world than the word of Jesus Christ. No kingdom can stand against his. And this means that no storm can take down the community that is kept safe for him in the world we will persevere. The Apostle Paul sums up this teaching in a powerful and beautiful way, and I'd like to read that for you today. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, 
nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Brothers and sisters, do not be afraid. Even in the midst of difficulties, there is reason for hope. Our life is kept safe in the one who was raised from the dead. And in the end, his kingdom will prevail. Back to the eight monks ministering in Algeria. They were eventually taken away and martyred for their faith. And uh, in the scene where they're captured, it happens at night. And what I love most about that scene is that the monks are sleeping, sleeping soundly when these rebel groups move in and arrest them. Sleeping soundly. That's a little picture for me of just the confidence, the confidence they had in their life with Christ. They were willing to stay in the midst of this trouble, and they had this deep assurance that, that they belonged to him, and that whatever was going to happen to them, their, their life was safe with Christ. It's not that they were indifferent to the danger they faced. It's that they knew who they belonged to, and that was enough. So I say to you today, brothers and sisters, once again, do not be afraid. Jesus is with us. He's blessing us. He's protecting us. He's ensuring that we stay afloat until it's time for his kingdom to arrive in all its fullness. Does this mean that we are going to be able, that life following after him is always going to be like a sunny and warm day at sea? Absolutely not. But it does mean we continue, can continue sailing with confidence and courage in the knowledge that whatever comes our way, nothing, not even death itself, can separate us from our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Together, let's continue to grow in our, our trust of him. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, I know that there are many troubles that we are facing right now, and many people in our congregation have storms that they are enduring. And sometimes we wonder, Lord, where are you in the midst of these storms? What are you up to? And it's scary. I pray, Jesus, that you would speak uh, reassuring words to your people this morning in this quiet moment. Please remind them of your, your faithful love, care, and attention. Lord, we take refuge in your Son, who conquered the grave, Lord. <clears throat> and we know that our life, ultimately and forever, is safe in him. Continue to root us deeply in that knowledge, Lord, and give us great courage for each and every day as we continue to live for you in this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.